book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 11. We'll be starting in verse 7 and reading a few verses into chapter 12. Ecclesiastes 11. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in front of you. This is on page 524 in that black Bible in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible uh, at home, you can certainly take that one with you today. That would be a great gift that we would love for you to have. It's also printed for you in the bulletin. Next to last week in Ecclesiastes, we're going to finish it out uh, next week. Uh, But another beautiful and tragic and mysterious passage as we've seen uh, week after week before us today in chapter 11, verse 7, we're going to read these verses together. Let's pay attention to God's word. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life our vanity. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors of the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. This is the word of the Lord. So I was a a teenager in uh, what we might call in the church world. I know this is kind of churchy, so not everybody grew up in the church. I did. Um, I grew up in what we might call the, the passion generation. Uh, this is a, based in a, this is late 90s, uh, early 2000s, my teenage form, forming years. Uh, there was something called the Passion Conference, and uh, a lot of speakers would come to this, and one way to summarize kind of the, the purpose of this, of this movement or of, of this conference was the phrase, don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. And so a uh, great famous pastor, John Piper, wrote a book with that title after he gave a talk at that conference that really changed a lot of people's lives. A lot of people were there, and he gave this, this talk about not wasting your life, your one true valuable life. And in that sermon, he told a story about seashells that has gripped a generation of those of us who were in this weird little corner of the Christian world. 
He told a story from Reader's Digest about a couple who retired early in their 40s or 50s, and they went and moved to Florida, and they collected seashells uh, on the beach every day, and that was like the substance of their life. They were the culmination of the American dream, and he was using them as a negative example, picturing them as somebody who would come to the end of their life, and, and they would meet God on Judgment Day, and they would say, Lord, look at these seashells. This is what I've accomplished with my life. And in contrast to that, he told the story of two women missionaries in Cameroon who died in a car accident and who had given their lives. They died in their 80s, and they had given their lives to spreading the gospel, serving the poor in Cameroon. And uh, they were examples of lives not to be wasted. And so that... That had a strong grip on me. It had a grip on a lot of people. When I, it was one of the first books that I read, Don't Waste Your Life. And um, fair enough, it is a good message for young people especially, but everyone to hear, to, call, to think about God's calling on your life. To remember your Creator, Solomon says, in the days of your youth, to give your life towards something meaningful. Although... It, I guess it did have the negative consequence, that conference, for making a lot of people ashamed of not becoming missionaries, which is something that it also had an effect of doing. Not to take away from any of that message, it is something to be worked through and challenged with. What Solomon is going to challenge us with is a different way of looking at our lives and asking the question, are we wasting our lives in a different way? Not so much with what we are doing for God. That was really the purpose of of the other message, right? What are you doing for God? What, how are you giving your life toward God? Solomon is asking a different, he's saying, are you wasting the experience of your life? It's a question that, that many people wrestle with, and maybe we wrestle with in a kind of pop psychology way, like am I using my, am I my authentic self? Am I truly enjoying life? And it's not as though the Bible doesn't have anything to say about the experience of our lives. Not just what we're doing for God, but how we experience God in this life. How much anxiety we carry. How much fear of death we're living in. How much fear of aging. These are questions that the Bible doesn't shy away from. But it does give us the message that life can be wasted. It can be wasted in more ways than one. And so we have here this beautiful, but also tragic passage that Solomon gives us about the story of our lives. And really, what he does here is he unfolds uh, a life. He gives us a life in brief in two basic metaphors. He says, he gives us first the metaphor of growing up. He talks to the young, and then he talks to the aging, and then he talks about death. So it's from birth to death, from cradle to grave. But simultaneously, he gives us this picture of a sun that's rising, this beautiful morning light, and then the increasing darkness, the day, as a metaphor for our lives. So cradle to grave, sunrise to sunset. This is a picture of our life and a picture of aging and how we age well. I want us to look at two ways that we can waste our, the experience of our lives that Solomon is concerned that we not do. First, being burdened in the light. That is, 
taking on the bur- too much burden when we have life in front of us. This is something Solomon is concerned about. Look at verse 7. Light is sweet and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. He's talking about the light of life. This is, it's good to be alive. You should enjoy your life. It's sweet to be able to see the world that God has created. It's a gift I've mentioned this before, but Christians shouldn't fall into this way of thinking to say that life is about just about preparation for what is to come. Sometimes you get this kind of message. Um, this whole life is all about the decision be- of, of where you're going to spend the next life or something like that. That's not the way the scriptures talk about life. Life is good. It's the, what was originally given. When God gave life, that was, that was the good thing. There was the promise of eternal life, even in the Genesis story. And so, life is good. The, the Christian story is, is that death is the enemy, and, and then resurrection means life again. So we actually return to life. That's the, the, the picture of goodness. Life is sweet. And he's saying, light is good. It's your experience of youth Whatever life you have left, this passage is addressed to the young, but perhaps it's better to say it like this, it's addressed to what remains young within each of us. Because here's what he says in verse 8. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in all of them. Let him rejoice in all of them. Whatever life you have left is something to enjoy, in other words. So he's not talking just to young people. He's addressing what is young within us. And of course, the earlier you start with this, the better. But what is young? What is left? What is life? It is good. This message that he gives us, let's read in verse 8. He says this, So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man. In your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Summary of what uh, Solomon is saying here is lighten up and do what you want to do. This is what life is about. Now, of course, he gives two caveats there, and we need to not just breeze over those. He says, first of all, don't think that it's all going to be positive. He says, you know, um, because the, remember the days of darkness will be many. You're going to have you know, hard experiences. But right now I want you to see that the light is sweet. It's good to be alive. It's not some kind of starry optimism that says there's not going to be, you know, hard things in your life. I don't know how you could have read the first 11 chapters of Ecclesiastes and think that Solomon is saying it's all going to be good as long as you're alive. That's not what he's saying. And second caveat is that we don't disregard God, who is the judge. He says, not only will the days of darkness be many, but know that God will bring you into judgment for these things. And so... God exists. He has prohibitions. He has a way of life. But those caveats aside, don't miss the power of what he's calling us to. He says, lighten up. Let your heart cheer you. Think about that phrase. Let your heart cheer you. It's almost like 
a blessing as well as a permission, right? Let your heart cheer you. Allow yourself to be cheered. You have permission to be happy and enjoy life because life is sweet. And he actually says, walk in the ways of your heart. So don't let anybody ever tell you that the Bible never says, follow your heart. It does. Now, it's often contrasted with Disney, right? Disney says, follow your heart, but the Bible says, follow God. I mean, yes, right? If your f- heart causes you to, fo- to, you know, following your heart causes you to disobey your parents and run away with someone uh, that you seemingly love, like, don't do that, okay? Because remember, God is the judge, right? So, but it says, follow your heart. It says, walk in the ways of your heart, Don't live an overly burdened life. We can get stuck into our burdens. One way to waste our lives is to feel burdened all the time. And I know some of us struggle with this more than others. Some of us have a more serious outlook on life than others. We can become so burdened that we forget that God has given us life now. Yes, it's full of hard things. Yes, there are prohibitions. There are things that we can't do. But so much of it is freedom. There are two main ways I think that we get burdened. We get burdened because we're feeling stuck. Some of us are tied up in knots about a decision we need to make. We need to decide something. We feel like we need permission from someone, maybe from God, to do something that we want to do. You know, it's uh, surprising to me the number of times as a pastor, I was not prepared for this going into the ministry, but how often in a counseling time when I'm just talking with, with many of you, I will just ask the question, well, what do you want to do? I, I want to do this. I feel like maybe I should do this. Maybe I want to do this. And I say, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? I do it all the time, a couple times even this week. I'm trying to decide between two jobs. One of them is slightly more boring, but, but it pays $10,000 more a year. What would God have me do? Hmm. What do you want to do? Well, I feel like I can put up with being a little bored if I can make $10,000 more. Well, go with the Lord. Like, do it. That's wonderful. Walk in the ways of your heart. It's okay. What do you want to do? You want to live in a tiny house? You know, and, and live on, you know, $20,000 a year and, and work only 20 hours a week so you can be with your family. Like, go with the Lord. It's okay. Like, do what you want to do. There is a permission built into the, to the Christian life that Solomon here is uncovering. And we feel like we need permission. Remember, he's already said this. He's already said, look, God has already approved what you do. There is a sense in which we need to understand the permission has already been given to us. And that if we, if our hearts are attached to God, then we can follow them because they are in Him. Go back to Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning. What we're given is rules, yes, but in the midst of all kinds of provisions of freedom, all the trees of the garden, God said, I have given you for food. All of them I have given you for food, but of this one you shall not eat. And how often we go to that second part of the phrase, I can't eat that. That's exactly what Adam and Eve did. They went exactly towards the prohibition without seeing the freedom. You know, years ago, we would take our, well, still sometimes, but we'd go to uh, Zoyo, you know that place, frozen yogurt. 
place. And um, it's one of those places that you get the yogurt, you know, from the dispenser and then you, you get toppings. There's like 30 or 40 different toppings and you put it on there and then you weigh it, you know, and it costs a thousand dollars and like, <clears throat> you know, and so we go to this thing and, um, you know, we want the kids to be happy. And so we say, all right, kids, you can get a lot of stuff on your, you know, on your frozen yogurt. Um, and they're, they're looking at all these toppings. We're seeing like 30 toppings. They're like, how many of these toppings can we get? And we're like, I don't, four, let's do four, you know? Um, but any four you want, and you're secretly hoping they don't choose like the gummy frogs, you know, cause they're so heavy. Um, <clears throat> but you know, it's inevitable. It's like you can choose four and that's so much freedom because there's like 30 toppings and it's been a long time since I've done permutations, but that's like hundreds of thousands of combinations you can choose between uh, amongst. You can look at all these different, any combination of four, and then inevitably, what's, what's the comment? Well, I wish we could have five, you know? <laughs> Literally, the permutations just went from hundreds of thousands to tens of millions uh, of options just by adding that one thing. And you th- like, do you really need that? This is the way that we can get to think about God. God permits way more than he prohibits. He permits way more than he prohibits. And I'm not trying to minimize the hard things about following God. Sometimes God calls to lay down our lives and something that he prohibits is extremely hard and that's true. But if you're feeling stuck, focus on what God allows. He gives this freedom. Enjoy the light. Don't be burdened by being stuck. Sometimes we're burdened by feeling anxious. Look at verse 10. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Youth is fleeting. Whatever is young in you, whether you're very young or you're older, whatever is young in you is fleeting. It is hebel, as we've said, this word vanity. I don't like that translation, as I've said many times from the ESV. Vanity, it's not worthless. What he's saying is it's short. It's a breath. It's here and it's gone. It doesn't have a lot of substance in the view of things. And so he says, why would you spend this time being anxious? What a waste. Waste your life being anxious. Didn't Jesus tell us not to do this? Winston Churchill told a quick story and he said, when I look back on all these worries, he's talking about his own life, I remember the story of an old man who said on his deathbed that he had had a lot of troubles in his life, most of which never happened. I think Mark Twain said something similar. Like, a lot of troubles in my life, most of which never happen. How often do the doomsday scenarios in your mind actually work out that way? Not very often. Well, what if they do? Well, of course, what if they do? You can't know that. Solomon has told us so many times, you cannot predict this. You can't change it. Jesus said, don't worry about your life. You can't add a single day, a single hour to your life by worrying about it. Do you feel stuck or do you feel burdened? Solomon says, that's, well, that's very normal. 
We've seen how easy it is to fall into those traps. It's not shaming anyone for having that, but this is not where you want your life to be, to be burdened like this. You can be overly burdened while you're in the light, while you have good things, while God has given you so much mercy and grace and provision. You can be focusing totally on the things that you don't have or that you can't do, and he says this is a way to waste your life. Here's a second way being unprepared for the darkness. There's a contrast in this passage between enjoying youth and then recognizing aging and death. And he says you need to know your Creator in the days of your youth so that you can be prepared for the days of darkness that will be many. He's already hinted at that. He says, know that the days of darkness will be many. But he gives us this command because we forget with whatever youth we have, we tend to think that's going to stay for a long time and we don't think about the future. But he gives us this sad poem, first five verses of chapter 12. Really tragic. And I know this is hard. This is hard for many in the room who I know are in the aging process and you're feeling it more than you used to. To hear this is is challenging. But this is how he describes aging. Look at verse 1 with me of chapter 12. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the, the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. And so we have decreasing pleasure. As you get older, some things get harder. They're less pleasurable than they used to be. Verse 2 tells us that the bad weather or the hard times is kind of here to stay. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. It's kind of a constant rainstorm, in other words. As there's more things to be sad about. As more people that you know are lost as more things, more tragedies appear to you the longer that you live. Verse 3 says that the house goes into decline in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. The workers of the house are more disabled. They lose their hearing. The the daughters of sound, that is the birds, go dimmer and you can't hear quite as well. You have increased fears. Verse 5, they are afraid also of what is high and the terrors that are in the way. As you are in high places, you get more scared. And more da- you see danger more everywhere. When you're young, you know, you're always annoyed when people who are older than you tell you to watch out for danger. You're like, I'm not in danger. And then the older you get, the more dangers you see. Isn't that true? It's just things that I did 10 years ago that I would never do right now. This is so dangerous. And my younger self would have scoffed at the danger, but this is what happens. The almond tree blossoms. That is white hair. A picture of the almond tree with its white flowers comes out. The white hair. The grasshopper drags itself along. A tragic image 
of the gait of someone who is, who is aging, walking slower. A grasshopper is meant to jump. That's, what's, that's what we know about a grasshopper. That's what we immediately think of. A grasshopper leaps, but when the grasshopper is aging, it drags itself along. And many of us, when we get older, things get slower, get harder. And we think of ourselves as grasshoppers. We still want to leap, but it's harder. Desire fails, Solomon says. Literally, the caper berry fails. This berry is used for multiple reasons in Hebrew society. A hunger stimulant to increase your desire for food as an aphrodisiac. Desire for food, desire for sex, decrease. Slow down. In another way, medicines no longer work. The caper berry fails. This is so hard for those of us who are aging, which is all of us. Derek Kidner, one of great commentator, he's passed away now 15 years or so, and he said this... Uh, this tragic statement, which I think is true, but it just goes right to the heart. In one's early years, and for the greater part of life, troubles and illnesses are chiefly setbacks, not disasters. One expects the sky to clear eventually. It's hard to adjust to the closing of that long chapter, to know that now, in the final stretch, there will be no improvement. The clouds will always gather again, and time will no longer heal but kill. The days of darkness end in death. In verse 5, he says, Desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go out in the street. The images shift now to death. In verse 6, Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities. Hebel of Hebel, says the preacher, all is Hebel. You know, it's interesting that the images that he talks about in aging are all gradual. Slow decline, loss of hearing, growing fears. But when it comes to death, it's jolting. It's sudden. It's dramatic. Because death is always dramatic, even if it's expected. It's always sudden. It's always jolting. Three images here are the lamp, the pitcher, and the wheel. The lamp, hanging lamp on a silver cord that has oil and a fire lit a wick and it's hanging and the picture is of aging suddenly those threads are thinning away but then at some point the lamp snaps and it falls and it breaks and it bursts apart it's a gradual decline and then dramatic the pitcher that holds the water is shattered it doesn't get a hole in it it isn't chipped the pitcher that holds water a picture of life it's shattered. It's irreparable. You can't put this picture back together again. The wheel is broken, he says, at the cistern. That is the wheel of the pulley that brings up the water of life. If the wheel is broken, then the water is inaccessible. 
It's a small thing, but you no longer have it anymore when it's broken. So Solomon has taken us from the cradle to the grave. And there are beauties and there are temptations and there are anxieties at every single stage. Here's really the question that I'm burdened with when I meditate on this passage and want to give to us. Where does God fit into this? This is, do you have a faith that's strong enough to keep you happy in life, sustained in aging, and prepared for death? Happy in life. That's one tension, right? Solomon says, don't waste it. Don't, don't be so burdened that you don't see the goodness of life. That's one way to waste it. But are you sustained when the days of darkness come, when you are aging and when you die, is there a sustaining of God and a preparation for that? How do we have that? How do I know if my faith is sufficient for that? I love the solution that he gives, the advice, the the wisdom here is summarized in this one phrase. Remember your creator. Remember your creator. I want to meditate on that command for just a moment. To remember your creator. It's not talking here, of course, about forgetfulness that we have, just we don't know that God exists. He's using the word remember in that rich, beautiful, biblical sense of keeping it front of mind, keeping it front and center, paying attention. Remember also means that it has the highest place. I love Psalm 137, verse 6, which is a poem about uh, Israel in Babylon. They're away from their homeland, and they're talking about Jerusalem, and the psalmist says, let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. He says, remembering means that I've set this city above my highest joy. When Solomon says, remember your Creator, is exalting God to the first position of your life, the highest place, keeping Him front of mind. And when we do that, we don't waste our lives because we solve these tensions. We realize we are not the creator. Remember your creator means that we are not the creator. We don't have to solve all the world's problems, fix everything. That's his job. So we don't have to be burdened with anxieties. We remember that we have a creator and he's in control. But also the fact that he is the creator means that you have a responsibility to him. It means that you are made if, he, if you have a creator. It means that you have a purpose that is not your own, but is given to you. So then we remember that he's the judge of all the earth. And as we follow our hearts, we follow him because he is the creator. Remembering the creator makes you properly unburdened and properly burdened at the same time. And Jesus was surely meditating on this passage when he said in Matthew chapter 6, do not be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about what clothes you will wear, what food you will eat. God provides. And then he, said, he ends it with this, just like Solomon, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added. 
Remember your creator, Jesus says, basically. Seek first the kingdom. That's how you lose your anxiety. When you think, don't be anxious about your life. How do I do that? Well, seek first the kingdom. When you seek him, then he provides everything. Same thing that Solomon is saying. Don't waste your life in this direction or this direction. Instead, remember your creator. The only way to enjoy the light and be prepared for the darkness is to remember God. To hold him in front of mind. And this God... What has he done? In the life of Christ, he has secured for us the possibility of an anxious free life. Because of what he has done in Jesus, we can be free of anxiety. We can be free of burdens, free of being stuck because of what Jesus did. There's, there's no permission needed. It's, he's given us everything. There's no one to condemn Nothing separates us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And actually, we can have abundant life. Jesus promises this life can be abundant. What about in aging and in death? If we have Christ, then we have not only happy life, abundant life, but we, have, we can be sustained in aging. Because Christ is something that can't be taken away. The lights may fade. You may not be able to see anymore, but you will still have the light of the world. You may not be able to hear anymore, but you will still be able to know his words of comfort to you. You will still have Christ. Everything else can go away, but if you have him, you are sustained. I love when we sing uh, Abide With Me. That song, one of the verses says, When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. Other things are going to fade. Other comforts are going to flee. When we get older and older and older, then these things will happen. Yes, to a lesser degree, because we've put off aging much more than Solomon's generation. And and praise God for this being... This, this light being longer and sweeter. But it will come when we have all our other comforts flee. And we need Christ to sustain us. And in death, your life may end. But if you have Christ, how will you be prepared for that life? You must have the promise of the resurrection. Because life is still the goal It's still God's goal. When he created this world, he created life. And when he restores this world, he restores life. Life is still the goal. And we only have life if we are in Christ. We are only prepared for death if we are in him. Because there is the promise of the resurrection. That death, that cord being snapped, that picture shattering, that wheel being broken, will be reversed and be restored again. And we will have life on the other side. The only faith that is strong enough to keep us happy in life, sustained in aging, and prepared for death is a faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what's presented to us in the unfolding of the Scriptures. If we have Him, then we have what we need to be in the light and prepared for the darkness. Let's pray.